Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com, register to vote, click on the Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast category where you can then vote for us to win. Now, you will have to listen to the other nominees as well, but let's be honest, you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today, which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance. Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it, and we thank you in advance. And everybody who votes for us, we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up. She's moving nicely. She's got it. off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you today for another athlete interview as we are only days away now from the opening ceremony of the beijing olympics so busy so exciting we've got double episodes coming your way right now in the lead up to make sure we catch you up on everything and we have another athlete today who is going to be at the beijing olympics nick Timming skeleton racer from Australia will be competing in only a matter of days in Beijing, making his Olympic debut and a great chat here with Nick learning about his journey in the sport, how he got involved, the training and everything else in between his hopes for Beijing, the track, the very unique track we're going to see in Beijing and everything else in between fun chat here to learn a lot about a man that you're going to be watching a lot of on your tv screens in the coming days so I'm going to shut up I'm going to hand over to myself to introduce Nick right now here is our chat with Australian skeleton racer Nick Timmings We are so, 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 so close to the Beijing Olympics. We're getting all very, very excited here at Off the Podium, as is every single Olympic fan right now. And we are extra excited today to welcome another guest to the show who is going to be competing in Beijing in only a matter of days days in the sport of skeleton a sport that we haven't actually had an athlete on in quite some time so i'm very excited to go back 
to skeleton to talk about a sport, which I think everybody loves at the Winter Olympics. It's such a great sport to be able to watch. He's heading into his very first Olympic Games with some great form. He recently finished 19th in the World Cup, a uh, top finish for him. Also won the North America's Cup as well. And uh, world ranking of 32 heading into the Olympics. So there's lots to get excited for for today's guest. And we're going to learn a little bit more about his season and everything else going into the Olympics. Pleasure to welcome off the podium, the one, the only, Mr. Nick Timmings. Nick, first of all, welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you on the program today. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, I'm excited. It's it's an exciting time. We were just talking about off air about how, again, so close to the Olympics, you've just literally been named as part of the team, your first ever Olympics. I mean, how how can you put that into words to officially hear that you are an Olympian, that you are going to an Olympic Games and that it is so close now, Nick, that you can you can sniff it. You can sniff the ice and the snow of Beijing, I'm sure. Yeah, like I, I don't, actually, I don't know if words can really like put into like what we feel when we get announced and uh, yeah, officially on the Olympic team. Uh, I actually, I don't think it's quite sunk in completely yet. I think when I get on the plane to actually go to China, I think it'll start creeping in a bit more then. And then I think when I'm in the opening ceremony, I think that's when it will really hit. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, it's kind of one of those things where some athletes I know say they will officially classify themselves as an Olympian the moment they're on the starting line. Some take it from the moment they're announced or the opening ceremony. I mean, is it something that you've kind of thought about that you will classify yourself as having made it to the Olympics on the start line, anything? I mean, are you already saying that right now because you've been announced? You're an Olympian. You know, They can't take that away from you now. Uh, I'm like, I'm still a little nervous, like with all the situation around the world. Um, but I think once I put that uniform on, then I'll like classify myself as an Olympian. So I think it's once you get that Australian Olympic uniform on, I think, yeah, that's when I'll, it'll, it'll hit me that, yeah, I'm, I'm an Olympian. And, and do you know when, like, is that, do you get it when you get to Beijing? Is it on the way now? Because uh, again, that's also, as you're saying, an exciting moment to open it up and there it is. There's the emblem, the, the green and gold, all of that kind of stuff on the way to you. Yeah, so um, it'll be waiting for me when I get to Beijing. Like, I'm in Austria at the moment, so I think them sending it here, then me having it to take over there was was too too much logistical, um, yeah, too much of a dilemma. So I think they're just going to take it there, I'm going to meet it there, and, yeah, that's when I'll have it. All the exciting things I can imagine going with that. It's a question I'm sure, Nick, though, you've been asked a thousand times in your career as a skeleton athlete. How do you get involved in skeleton, because I believe you were a bit of a, a late starter to the sport. So, how did it all come about for you? Uh, well, for like a country like Australia, so I started at twenty-one. That's not really a late start, um, just because obviously there's no opportunity to do skeleton locally here. Um, it does require a lot of time, effort, and money. So, I think around that, that late teens to early 20s age is, is pretty pretty normal for a lot of um, nations who don't actually have a track. So it's not, it's not that late of a start. And the longevity of a skeleton slider's career, is can, it can span to like late 30s. So even if you do start a bit later, like, like you do, you do have a lot of time in the sport and uh, yeah, like if anyone wants to start late, definitely don't worry about it. Like you can, you can get to that level even, even in your mid to late thirties. 
CC saying, I still have a chance then, basically, as a 34-year-old at the time of this interview, that maybe, hey, if I decide to, in the coming months to take it up, that, uh, you know, Milan 2026, I could be in with a crack. Definitely, yeah. Give it a go. All right. Okay. I'm still trying to break that that streak <laughs> of being Tasmania's first ever Winter Olympian. We're the only state or territory to never have had a Winter Olympian. So, look, I, I'm always trying to find an in somewhere to create history for Tasmania. <laughs> I didn't actually know that. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I actually I actually recently just went through all the, the numbers of Winter Olympians from Australia and we've had Winter Olympians from the Northern Territory and the ACT, but Tasmania is, is the solitary state or territory that we have not had one. But And I, I don't know if you're aware, uh, you're the first uh, male skeleton athlete from Western Australia too, only the second from Western Australia. So th- there's a stat that you can add to your to your list there as well. So uh, little things like that are, are great to kind of, I guess, keep in your back pocket for a trivia night in the future potentially. Yeah, there you go. If they ask me that question, I guess I'll know it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when when it came to making that decision to go into Skeleton, sort of uh, were you approached? Was it something that you kind of looked into? Because I remember talking to Emily Smith a, a long time ago and she sort of got the letter in the mail saying like, hey, you know, have you thought about trying out for Skeleton? So was it kind of one of those invitation-based things or was there another connection that got you into the sport? No, I kind of fell into it. So um, the National Federation was just going around Australia, like holding these um, like recruitment camps, like testing camps. And uh, I knew a couple of people who were doing bobsled. Um, I was training athletics with them at the time. So I knew that this like testing day was coming around and like a couple of people said, just like, why don't you just go try it? Like, even if you don't um, like want to do the sport, uh, at least you can get some numbers on the board and yeah, like treat it as a training session. So I ended up going to that um testing day and then uh yeah kind of got invited from there and yeah that's how it happened for me so i kind of fell into it and then yeah once i tried it i loved it so um yeah that's how it started i kind of just fell into it was it something that you were overly familiar with had you watched it at the olympics before or or met any i mean if you said you knew some bobsled athletes had you come across any of the other aussie skeleton races at that time yeah, so in our athletics training group, we had like two bobsledders at the time and Lucy Schaefer, who went to the Sochi Olympics, was actually training with us at the same time. So, yeah, I did know about all the sliding sports. Um, so, yeah, I was familiar with that at the time and that's kind of, yeah, what I guess was the incentive to just even try out at the time. And did any of your bobsled mates try to get you into to bobsled? Was that kind of a temptation there as well to maybe give that a bit of a crack? Uh, uh, not really. I was, so my body shape is a lot more suited to skeleton rather than bobsled. And I knew like, um, yeah, if I went down the bobsled road, I I wouldn't be able to get to that top level. So it was always skeleton for me from, from the, from the beginning. What is it like when you do those trials and then you go to that point where you get onto a sled the very first time? I mean, is there kind of a, a training regiment you've got to do before you can get onto a sled or do they literally throw you in the deep end? You go somewhere in the world to a track, here's a sled, boom, you were going down there right now to experience this literally head first. So when we got there, we thought we would do like, it was a two week camp. We thought like the first couple of days might be like theory, learning, like all this stuff, like getting to know it. But literally we got there the first day, they were like lie down, put a helmet on and they literally kicked us off. Luckily, it wasn't from the very top of the hill, but uh, oh. yeah, so we were all a bit shocked about that. 
that. But I think that's kind of how you need to just get into the sport is just just do it. Like they just throw you off and um, you either love it or you hate it. And uh, yeah, I think that's how they separate the people who they think will be able to do it and want to do it. And the people who say, no, I can't do this and just end up going home. Do do you remember that first time then when they do push you down? And what was your thoughts the the minute you stopped? I don't remember it exactly, but I remember like getting to the bottom and just thinking like, what the hell just happened? Like, I don't remember (laughs) any of it. Like all I remember was just like, skidding hitting some walls like yeah like i don't know these ice walls coming at me and yeah getting down to the bottom like stopping and just being like i don't know what just happened (laughs) that's crazy because i can imagine it's one of those sports that if you say into things like roller coasters and and sort of adrenaline based activities where you're going to get something more out of it but potentially if you're like me and a wimp and don't like roller coasters then you're probably going to be shitting yourself halfway down going what the fuck is this i'm never going to do this ever again yeah so i say this to a lot of people but uh skeleton has ruined like roller coasters and all these adrenaline kind of activities <laughs> um yeah for me so yeah they're completely dull now wow so just roller coasters are boring you're just you're just on your phone basically checking your instagram or something like that if you're on a roller coaster yeah, you know how like in on a roller coaster you'll get that kind of rush with inside you and you're like yep. um yeah, you feel kind of like light and that yeah, that's completely gone now. Wow. That that's insane. So is, is this a case then where you've got to like really find something I don't know even more adrenaline based than skeleton which I I don't know what there is like Formula 1 car skydiving. I mean, even then I don't know like how that would work is this kind of just the peak now you can't find anything to to really you know quench that adrenaline rush taste that skeleton gives you i definitely like to try a formula one car i think that'd be great but uh we actually have a guy on who slides australia who has skydived before um and he said skeleton's way more intense than skydiving wow that's insane there you go that's a good selling point for the sport this is this is where you know if they were to build a track in australia bit of a pipe dream but you know, sell it for the tourism aspect, the adrenaline junkies, you know, like it's kind of bugger skydiving, try skeleton. And then we can also build the team up a little bit more and challenge the, the you know, the, the Germans, the, the Brits, all these sort of great nations of skeleton. So we can really push it up there. There's win-win for everyone there by building a track in Australia. Oh, it'd be great because then we could slide in our winter, which is the Northern Hemisphere summer. So we could be sliding all year round. And that means we could even bring the, the internationals over here, like they'd want to come to slide in their off season. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's summer for them. So I think, yeah, like obviously it would be very costly to build a track here, but yeah, I think you definitely get a lot of people coming. I keep thinking given that the Brisbane 2032 Olympics are technically, technically a winter Olympics, given they're being held in July in Australia, that, you know, you play your cards right with the AOC and the IOC, and just be like, well, hey, it's a Winter Olympics. We might need a sliding track to go along with them. So, again, there's some cards you might be able to play there. Yeah, well, even if we don't actually build, like, a concrete track, there, there's a there's a track in St. Moritz, actually. They, they compact it and build it every year from the snow. So maybe even if, like, during that time we could just get a couple of, yeah, a couple of hundred volunteers to, like, hand pack a snow in the, in the yeah. mountains. Yeah, that'd be great. That works because there are, there are natural tracks still, aren't they? Like I think New Zealand has a like a natural track, don't they? And I'm sure, as you're saying, like other countries in the world probably have them. So I mean, it's a it's a thing that doesn't have to be permanent. It could just be, you know, like Threadbow or something like that. Get one out at Mount Hoffman. I don't know. Sure, you could probably do something there with it. 
Yeah, I think I think the one in New Zealand is more like a tourist kind of toboggan run. But um, I think Luge do have natural. I think they have a World Cup like natural circuit, so they do like naturally carve it each year. Um, and yeah, there is one skeleton bobsled track that is used on the World Cup circuit each year, so it's definitely possible. And yeah, yeah, why not? That'd be great. Oh, How much fun yeah. would that be? The right people are listening to this today, Nick, to try and uh, to, to make that happen. Did you growing up sort of as a as a you know going through your athletics career, and I believe you've been in soccer as well. Were was it something that you always looked towards, like an Olympics? Was this something that while you were doing athletics, I mean, dreaming playing for the Socceroos and and maybe you know the Ollie Roos on the way? I mean, was the Olympics always a goal for you growing up? I don't think, yeah, like you said, I did a lot of different sports. I don't think there was one like pinnacle I was aiming for. I think I just wanted to be like, see how high I could take myself. So I think I just wanted to just be really the best athlete I could be and see where that took me. And I'm very fortunate now that it has taken me to like the pinnacle event in in my sport. In terms of once you got over that first run, on the sled and then kind of working your way through it. What's it like then going from the beginning stages to going on to say the world cup scene and, and making your way up through the ranks, particularly from somewhere like Australia, where, as you mentioned, you know, we're not obviously a country known too much for skeleton. I mean, is it, is it challenging to come from a place like Australia to enter that scene or are there sort of pathways that are created to help nations like Australia get involved in the sport more so you can go to the world cup and then push towards an Olympics one day. Yeah. So it is very challenging. I'd say coming from like a nation like Australia or a smaller nation as they call it. Um, I think your development curve um, takes longer. Whereas these bigger nations who have so much funding, so much coaching, their um, development and improvement is a lot quicker just because they have that support network around them. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get to that level. I think it just takes a lot more time, patience, and, yeah, just the determination within the individual to get there. Um, and the International Federation do try to put on – they put on, like, camps and they give a bit of funding for these um, development athletes to kind of keep them in the sport and try help them get to the next level. Um, so there is a bit of help, but it's uh, – it's nowhere near the situation, but if the individual definitely is um, dedicated enough, then yeah, you can get to that level. What did you find the most challenging aspect of it once, again, you had that first run, you were doing more and more runs uh, along the way? Was it the, the sliding aspect, the steering, you know, making sure you were getting your, your lines right, everything like that? Was it involved in, in the starts? I mean, kind of what parts did you find it the most challenging when you were really getting heavily involved in the sport? Yeah, so I think sliding-wise, that like first camp, because I was so new to it, um, I was just kind of taking everything in. I had no expectations. But the start, because I came from a, a like sprinting background, like I thought I would be a good starter, but that wasn't the case. Like a skeleton start is completely different to a sprint. Um, so I had the kind of expectation that I would be quick from the get-go. And it did. It took me probably two to three years to actually figure out the technique and, and get quicker at the start. So I think... That was frustrating, um, but all that time, like my sliding ability was improving, so I was happy in that regard. But uh, yeah, there was definitely some challenges on the start, and um, yeah, I think adjusting to new tracks as you get to them, like there's different steering styles. So adjusting to them, like I said, we don't have the support network, so I think that takes us longer to 
maybe figure out corners and figure out tracks compared to some of the other nations. So, yeah, some sometimes that, that does get a bit uh, like if you see some of these other bigger nations like get quicker and, and improve rapidly, then you might uh, yeah get a bit of I don't know self doubt in yourself. But um, yeah, if you stick with it and uh, try try go back to like the fundamentals and uh, what you learn as a as a rookie, then yeah, you definitely can improve yourself. What is it? Coming from athletics into skeleton, you know, the technique, is it, I mean, obviously as a sprinter, you're sort of more upright when as skeleton, you know, I guess what almost got, you're leaning over more, aren't you? I mean, is that kind of the main aspect of it or is it a different style of sprinting that you've got to do for skeleton and obviously not just for the surface differences between track and, and running on ice? I mean, kind of what was that that took you those couple of years to really try to overcome to adapt to that style? Yeah, I think the main thing is obviously sprinting your upright and scaling your bent over. So like getting your back and hip angle um, into a fast position, I think that is, that's probably the thing that takes you the longest. You also got to remember when you're sprinting, it's just all your body weight, but pushing a skeleton sled, those first three to five steps, we're actually pushing the sled. So there is a bit of like um, strength aspect to it. And sometimes if you add weight to like a sprint, like your technique goes out of the window. So that's kind of something you have to learn um, yeah, as you're, as you're new to the sport and getting into it. We had a couple of luge athletes on recently and sort of they explained the methods involved in steering by laying on their back and kind of how there's a lot more to it than most people do. Uh, I know a couple of them mentioned about how Roy and HG destroyed the sport a lot for Australians because they just thought it was a lazy person sport. You just lay there and you don't do anything when there's obviously a lot more to it. Is that, is that similar to skeleton Is in the fact that you're using different parts of your body to steer just like they do in luge or is there something a little bit more different to it given you're facing the a different way yeah it's definitely the case so we use our shoulders and knees to steer and if you watch a skeleton run and you don't see anything noticeable then they are doing uh, like hundreds of micro steers to get down the track Um, and that means they're doing a very good job of it if you see someone like stick their foot out or drop their toe that's an aggressive steer that means they kind of put themselves into trouble or want to aggressively get on a different line so like if you don't know anything about the sport and you see that you you might think oh this person only did one steer the down the whole track but that was only one like aggressive steer one like kind of safety steer that they've done um and yeah but if say we got someone who didn't know about the sport and put them down the track, they would be flying out of corners, hitting walls, like not doing those little steers will put them into trouble. And uh, yeah, I don't think uh, just the, just the average person watching on the screen like sees this. Fascinating. Fascinating. So is it a case of, you know, obviously you can work on that technique off the sled. I can imagine. I mean, how do you work your body into a way where you can do micro steers and kind of get it? So it does look, seamless that you are doing it without sort of those obvious movements that somebody like me would be seeing when I'm watching the sport. It uh, just comes from practice really. Like I'll, I'll go down a track and I'll think I didn't do too much, like too many steers or I'll think my form is good on the sled, but then you watch video and you'll, you'll see that your head's up, your shoulders up, like you're kind of not um, relaxed on the sled. So that's when you have to take in that feedback and go, okay, I need to, I need to relax more. I need to put my shoulders down. Like I need to, yeah not stick my leg out here and uh yeah i think as you as you get more confident on a track it becomes easier to relax and put your head down so it just takes practice really do you have a a favorite track that you that you compete on on the on the world stage and and a least favorite track of of all the ones that you do compete on 
Uh, I'd say I've got a couple of favorite tracks. Yeah, the the more high speed, like technical tracks that uh, kind of you need to do a lot of steers to get down like safely and fast. I think those those are my more um, enjoyed tracks. There are tracks out there that um, like being very relaxed and doing subtle like soft steers is the fast line, but I think I'm more suited to the the high speed technical tracks. Um, so those probably would be Altenburg in Germany and Whistler in Canada. Mm-hmm. Tracks I don't like. Um, let me think about that. I'd say there there are a couple of we call them boring tracks, but uh, yeah, those tracks where you don't need to do those aggressive steers and it, it, the the speed is lower. Um, there's one in uh, Austria called Eagles, and uh, I'd say Winterberg in Germany is like that. So yeah, it's like. I came into this sport to go fast. So when you have to go to those tracks, you kind of just like, yeah, oh, it's kind of boring. Yeah. May as well go on a roller coaster, basically, if you want to go slow, right? Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who, need, who needs to go on those ones? Is it a case with tracks that, I mean, particularly say in the Olympics, where you've got three sports happening, you've obviously got luge, bobsled, and skeleton. And for the most part on, on World Cups, you don't have all three going. D- does it get affected by those sports or is there sort of ways that they fix the tracks up so for example say if, if you're competing later towards the end of an olympics and they've had the bobsled and the luge does the track feel different on day 10 as it would to day one like whoever's competing first out of the three sports are they getting the rub of the green or are you getting the rub of the green because the track's worn in a lot more by the time you're competing if that makes sense yeah so it uh the different sports definitely do affect the tracks um, like on World Cup or even even the lowest circuits on tour during the seasons, if the luge circuit has been there before us, the corners will be a lot rounder. Um, it's just for I don't know why they need rounder corners to get just to get out really. I think, um, but yeah. So when we go to these tracks after luge, we can notice that um, the corners are rounder. It generally makes them a bit easier to get out of. Um, there's not kind of like these sharp drop offs that we might have. Um, and in terms of Bob said, at something like the Olympics, the track crew is going to do maintenance between and after like every session. So it's good. But uh, sometimes we'll go to tracks, maybe on the lower circuits and like Bob said, we'll have gone before us and they won't do any track maintenance. So the tracks do like it, it is visibly beaten up a bit and some of the walls are like jagged and you see ice chunks taken out from where they've hit. And uh, wow. yeah, you can definitely notice them. If you hit those walls, yeah, geez, that hurts. Yeah, I can imagine. Those bloody bobsleds just ruin everything, right? Like, come on, guys. Like, they should be going down and fixing it up themselves, basically, if there's no uh, maintenance people to do that in, in between them at some of those events. <laughs> yeah, well, like we say that, but they say we ruin the track, but it's like, <laughs> no, like, come on, you guys are doing all the damage. <laughs> and then we don't even get started on the luge. Like, come on, they, they just make it even worse, you know? Like, gosh, <laughs> just, you know, they go that way. Where, so when you're making your progress, uh Sort of, you started, I believe, in around 2012. So, was 2014, 2018 sort of Olympics? Were they either realistic possibilities? I mean, kind of what happened on the road to both Sochi and, and Pyeongchang in the fact that we're, did you nearly sort of make the team in either of those games? Uh, so, the first one, Sochi, definitely not. Like, two years into the sport is definitely not enough time. Like, you can't really get to a level, like an Olympic level in that time. This is a very, like, experience based sport. So, you need the years, you need the track runs. So, yeah, that was never in the back of my mind. Like I was just still developing and learning. Um, Sochi, uh, sorry, Pyeongchang, definitely. I did give it a good crack. Um, 
I think I was in the top 60 in the world, which is the criteria for the Olympics at the moment. Um, but so we had another slider, John Farrow, who, who represented Australia at those Olympics. Um, so unfortunately, we couldn't, I wasn't able to qualify us two sleds at those Olympics. But having said that, if he wasn't competing at that time, my ranking and performance was good enough to get us one spot. So it was just unfortunate that we couldn't get the two spots. Um, I think we would have had to beat either Switzerland or Austria for that second spot. So, yeah, it's pretty tough. And Australia tricky. beating those kind of winter sport countries. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'll play with that spot. I'm about to stuck it out and, yeah, finally got here now. Is it a case of when that happens and, say, you miss out on an Olympics or you get that close to it? I mean, do you use that as inspiration to kind of spur you on for another four years to go, okay, well, I was this close, I'm going to keep going? Or do you kind of take a step back for a little bit and kind of reassess your options to see if you're, you're willing to go through another four-year cycle? Uh, at that time, I, I was definitely certain I was going to go for another one. Like I knew for us to get that second spot and me to qualify, like my performance needed to be better. And I knew I wasn't like at that level where we could qualify two sleds yet. So I knew I had a lot of development left and uh, a lot of improvement. And yeah, at that time I, I was definitely certain I was going to go for another four years and yeah, I didn't take a break at all. So yeah, I'm ha- happy I didn't. And obviously in the lead up now, as we get closer to, to Beijing, I kind of gave a bit of a run through of some of the achievements that have happened literally in the, the last couple of months before we get to those. I mean, the challenges of COVID though, I believe you sort of decided to to go and, and base yourself in North America and, and Europe, obviously in the midst of a bit of uncertainty when it came to things like travel and border restrictions and all things like that. I mean, tell us a little bit about kind of everything that happened with that. And obviously it's paid off for you, but I can imagine it was obviously a bit of a, a tricky sort of decision to try and navigate everything that was happening ahead of the, the World Cup season. Yeah, I think last season was actually the most difficult because like obviously COVID was a lot newer back then. No one really knew what was happening with it. Um, There was a lot of lockdowns, lots of closures. But uh, so the skeleton season was running ahead. They did actually freeze the rankings from the previous year. So none of those results counted towards like quota positions for this World Cup season this year. So I knew the results didn't really matter, but I said to myself, I need to go over and just slide and compete just so it could keep fresh and I could uh, try and make some improvements. So, yeah, at, uh, I think it was January 2020, I decided to go to Europe and, um, yeah, keep sliding. It was it was a big challenge, but uh, I'm really glad I did. Um, ended up competing World Champs that year, so it was like definitely a worthwhile trip, but uh, it was hard getting out. It was hard coming back in and, um, yeah, but uh, I think it, it definitely put me in a good standing coming into the start of this season. So how long now, Nick, have you been away from Australia? Like how many months have you been out? And uh, do you know if you can even get back in, particularly with WA's border laws at the moment? So I'll go back to the end of last season. So I went away in January, February. I came back. I had to do two weeks in hotel quarantine. Um, and so I was back in Perth for my off season. So up until October. Um, and then, so for this Olympic season, I left at the start of October and I've been, yeah, out, outside of Australia since then. Um, yeah. And I just got told recently that my flight from, uh, so Beijing, Singapore, Singapore, Perth. So that Singapore, Perth leg has been canceled because of the closure. So 
they're flying me to Brisbane now, so I have to land in Brisbane and then, yeah, I'll sort out how to get home from there. Wow. Okay, then. Jeez, yeah, because it, it seems to be a thing that every time the border's about to open in Western Australia, it seems to be being closed. So it might be a bit of a, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, Western Australian refugee for a while there uh, until they sort of... Uh... But again, you could play the Olympic card, Nick. Come on, you're an Olympian. Surely they can give you something there coming back home from the Olympics. It's got to give you some sort of special treatment at the border. Luckily, I've got a friend who lives in Brisbane, so I can stay with him for at least a few days or yeah, however long. But uh, um, yeah, I am currently uh, talking with Wace about trying to get back into WA and uh, I think they're asking a few questions here and there so I'll see what they come back with but at least if uh, that does become a struggle I have a friend in Brisbane I can stay with I'm sure a gold medal might also help, but, uh, you know, we, we can talk about that. But, I mean, your season obviously <laughs> had a, a fantastic season, as I mentioned at the top. I mean, you finished 19th uh, in Altenburg, your highest ever position in, in the World Cup. I mean, what was that like to get, get a top 20? I mean, that must be a pretty amazing feeling to uh, to, to get that place, particularly in, in a season which is in the lead-up to the Olympic Games. Yeah, so was special so this year the world cup field has actually increased and it's become a lot stronger like the um china has come really come in strong there's three korean sleds in the in the world cup now there's i think there's three gb there's three germans uh three russians so it is a very stacked field um so that 19th for me so my previous world cup best was i've got two 20ths before so this 19th was actually my best world cup result and uh yeah, in such a strong field, I'll, I was definitely pleased with that. But not only that, it was um, uh, on a, on the Altenburg track, which previously I'd only been to twice before. So I didn't have much experience there. So getting that result was, yeah, it was definitely a big bonus. And yeah, something I'm very proud of. And then to add to that, North America's Cup champion, won a couple of races in that as well. I believe the first time you, you've won some skeleton races. So uh, yeah, must be feeling pretty confident with some pretty good results in your back pocket leading into Beijing. Yeah, so like I was fortunate enough to, to get my first win and then back back up back, back it up with another win in uh, Lake Placid. But yeah, that North American Cup overall title, I didn't even realize I'd won it until it was the Spanish slider who came second. On the last day, he told me that I'd got him by two points, and I I, wow. like I wasn't even factoring that overall title in um, at that time. I was just looking. I just needed um, some good goals for my Olympic standing. So yeah, that was an added bonus while I was there. Yeah, it was good to. Good to get that one, yeah. So, so what do you get for that? Is there some sort of like, is a nice trophy? I mean, kind of some perks, uh, you, you know, kind of what comes with winning the North American Cup? Yeah, it's more just uh, a little trophy and a bit of uh, a bit of bragging rights, I think. Yeah, not much else. But uh, yeah, I think the more important thing was those two wins and the points that came with that for the Olympic qualification. Not, not like a fancy one of these crystal globe style things that they have in some of the other events, you know, because I, th I think some winter sports have some of the best trophies out there. I mean, when we had Greta Small on, she said she won a tub of Chupa Chups for winning a race once. So I, I don't know if there was like something special for North America. They need to make something then if it's only a little trophy. Come on, North America, you guys are the home of excess. This should be something giant and big going on with it. So they actually, yes. So the trophy, yeah, like like you said, Crystal Globe, that would be nice. But, um, yeah, I think that's the the World Cup overall title. So I didn't get one of those, unfortunately. But they did give us maple syrup as a prize for it. So, right. yeah, we enjoyed that. Okay. Well, that's something. I mean, uh, was this, I'm hoping, Canadian maple syrup uh, at least? It wasn't, you know, American maple syrup, was it? 
it was American maple syrup, but it was from the Adirondack region, which is where the track is. So it was local maple syrup. So and it was actually pretty nice. So yeah, I can't complain. Okay, that's good then. All right, does it, can can you use maple syrup for any benefit in skeleton? Like you know, if you put a bit on like the the slides or anything like that going down, or is that considered maybe a little bit illegal potentially? I think that would slow you down more than anything. Yeah, I think it's more energy in the morning, really. That's the right. only benefit, yeah. Okay, helps with the legs, helps with the burn kind of uh, going going on there for that one as well. I mean, heading into the Olympics, obviously, with yourself and Jacqueline, I mean, obviously, Jacqueline's just, you know, won a World Cup event, great result for her. So, I mean, what is the move between you and her kind of going in, heading into these Olympics, bit of attention for you both with how successful you, you've been and, and do you kind of set yourself targets do you set yourself goals going into the olympics uh, position medals things like that i think the first goal was just getting to the olympics like so many athletes are going down with covid and not being able to do some races and yeah um getting getting around like different countries so i think our goal um before the actual last qualifying race was to get all the races in like get us in a good standing um, to be able to qualify the sport and now that we've got it i think we can reassess our goals um for the olympics but i'll have to speak to my coach and uh yeah just we'll, we'll do some homework and that and then uh after training's finished i think we can really assess where where the goal for the positioning will be at the olympics um but yeah like i said just just because of COVID, I think getting to this point and staying healthy was, was like the major and a very big win. Uh, you mentioned Lucy before, you, the other Western Australian skeleton athlete. She finished 17th in 2014. Best result by a male skeleton racer was from John Farrow back in Sochi, also 17th. So I'm just trying to just see here that if we can go at least for 16th, that would be pretty good. Uh, Emma's got the record at 10th. So, you know, I'm just trying to put a bit of pressure on you and Jacqueline's shoulders here a bit. But, you know, we always like to top previous results. So just think 17th or better or 10th or better. And then, then you, you come home and then, boom, it's been a great result. Yeah, all right. I'll aim for that 17th and that'll be, that'll be my target. Yes, exactly. Perfect. I like that. The, the track itself, which looks amazing, you've got a 360-degree turn, which I believe is the longest in the world goes under a hotel and there's sort of inclines and declines, kind of almost looks like a Mario Kart track. I mean, have you ever seen a track like this? Can this be compared to anything at all? And how much are you looking forward to kind of going out there in anger and competing on this track in Beijing? Yeah, so I haven't actually seen it in person. I've only seen video and photos of it. I wasn't able to get to the test event in October just because of costs involved and COVID. But, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this track. It, I've heard that it's very challenging, which is kind of up my alley, and, yeah, which is what I enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely definitely excited to get out there and, uh, yeah, see it for myself. With the 360-degree turn, how far are we away then from a loop-de-loop? So basically I'm thinking your roller coasters, they're boring. So if a skeleton track can have one in it, I'm sure it will go faster and better. I mean, is that logistically possible? Can we think Milan 2026, if the Italians are listening and they haven't built their track yet, we can just go full-on fancy like that to really, you know, attract some more eyes to the sport and make it even more awesome? Yeah, that'd be amazing if it had a kamikaze loop in it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would. I would definitely pay to slide in that and pay to see that. Yeah, I'll, I might. I'll flick some emails around and send some messages like, "Hey, why don't we add this to the next skeleton track?" Please do. If and if not, the Brisbane track. I mean, look, I can see it working for the Luge and the Skeleton. I don't know about the bobsled. 
but uh, they can add their own track. You know, we again, we the bobsled ruin everything, so just we'll stick to that for for that one there. But I mean, again, it's it's always about attracting the kids into the sport. We want more people involved in skeleton. So I mean, you have that aspect to it. Boom, you you, you lock yourself in. I feel. Yeah, I don't think these kids' parents and mums in particular will be too happy about that though. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you got to go against kind of uh, everything with that and self and, uh, you know, create your own sort of things there. So, I mean, again, we were talking a little bit off air and you were sort of mentioning before things like the opening ceremony, everything on those lines. We're, we're talking to you now from Austria at the time of recording this. So you fly to Beijing, um, you get yourself ready into the village, training, everything along those lines. Do you, do you kind of look, you obviously get a schedule planned, everything along those lines, but... How do you find yourself mentally able to keep yourself in the zone when it comes to a competition? Because I can imagine an Olympics is a little bit different to say a World Cup. I mean, do you have preferences? Do you do you meditate? Do you read? Do you listen to some music? Kind of what's some mental preparation that you like to try and keep yourself in a zone for when it comes up to the lead up to a competition like this? Um, I think like kind of getting out of the the skeleton brain, like being able to to focus on something else um, while you're away from the track is very important. Uh, you don't want to be thinking about all the corners, like what you need to do, like all the time. You're just going to mentally burn out. So I think downtime and relaxing outside of the track is very important. But then when you get to the track, I think that's when the concentration and the focus needs to come in. And I think I'd say most athletes, it would come naturally, just the, the size of the tracks and the, the kind of occasion kind of brings that, that focus to everyone. And yeah, it's definitely the same with me. Like I'll get to a track and be like, okay, like it's go time now. I'll think about what I need to do, like the preparation I've done and yeah, yeah, trust the training I've done. And I think it, luckily for me, it seems to come come naturally that I can focus when I do get to the track and, and on race days. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it might be different for some athletes, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it will be the same at the Olympics. Just just a bigger occasion. I might definitely, I'll probably definitely have more nerves, but uh, I think the, the processes will be the same. And it also must be a case of the attention that it, the Olympics does bring to the sport. And this is what I always love talking to our winter Olympians about because a lot of the time you're not getting the attention, say in Australia, that other sports, say a summer sport, would, would get. So this is a real opportunity to showcase everything that, you and Jacqueline and the sport have been working towards, but just the sport it, itself. So do you find that that adds pressure or do you find that that is something that you relish, the fact that you can now have people experience something that you've dedicated a large chunk of your life towards and now people can finally see what you've achieved but also what the sport is like and hopefully might be able to attract some people to it in the future? Um, I think I can't speak for Jackie, but I think I'm definitely going to relish the chance to show what we do to the rest of Australia. Um, yeah, like obviously you don't see it a lot back home. No one really knows what it is. Like I said before, like a lot of people just think we're laying there. They don't really understand the steers and that. So I think being able to talk about it and show people, um, yeah, what we do. Uh, I'm sure the commentary team, like while we're sliding, will give some insights into the sport and, uh, yeah, be able to give, um, a little bit of what we do and how we go about it to the to the general public and i hope yeah they, like i think most people think it's 
like a pretty cool sport and pretty out there. But um, if we can, yeah, get some more interest into people actually wanting to try it, then yeah, that'd be great. I'm definitely relishing the chance to show show what we do to the rest of Australia. Do do you name your sled, Nick? Does it does it have a a name, and do you talk to it when you're going down a, a track at all? I don't actually don't have a name for mine. I know a lot of people do, but uh, yeah, I just call mine my sled. And yeah, I definitely do talk to it down the bottom. If I have a good run, I'll, I'll pat it and say, yeah, good job. Yeah. Um, well, I've, that's that's the kind of extent of it. I've got to try and, and get this out then. I, I've tried this. I did this with Brian Chiara for, for the bobsled. You know, uh, just if you want to call it Ben, it's fine. You're allowed to. I'll give you permission. And uh, you can cheer on. We can cheer on Ben down the track and... Technically, then, can we consider myself to be a Winter Olympian because you've named the sled Ben? So, you know, living through the journey as well. So, again, you haven't got a name, but take Ben if you want. That That's all yours to use. All right, I'll consider that. And even if I don't name it, it can spiritually be Ben. <laughs> I like it. There you go. See, kind of working these ways to sneak in there, Nick, any way we can. We've got some questions that we like to close out just in terms of just a fun little get-to-know-you style questions. But one thing I've actually noticed, which I'm very happy for, that the AOC have done on their on the olympics.com.au website, they've actually done their own sort of bit of a questionnaire with you heading into it. And just a couple of things I wanted to, to touch on here. First of all, your favourite sporting moment. Great one here. Soccer is qualifying for the 2006 World Cup. Where, where were you? Where were you watching it? And do you remember it vividly when Aloisi kicked that penalty to send us to Germany back then in 2005? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, sure, I do remember that moment. I think I was, so my first job was at uh, Hungry Jacks back in, in Perth. And I think I was on shift that day and we were watching it in the back when he scored nice. it. Like, we we were just like, we ran out into the shop and like everyone was yelling and yeah, that was it was definitely a great moment. I loved I can it. Ima- I can imagine everybody getting their burgers that day. We'll be going, what the hell's going on? But when they realised what it was, it was just like free burgers for everyone. Come on, celebrate the occasion. Well, the funny go. thing was like during the penalty shootout, no one was getting their burgers because we weren't doing anything. <laughs> a bit slow that time. It was like, uh, please hold on. Like, yeah, yeah we've got the soccer to watch. Perfect excuse, essentially, to uh, to, to not serve there. Yeah. Uh, another thing I, I like here on your hobbies when you're not training, watching movies, collecting Game Boys, and sipping coffee. Now, collecting Game Boys, Nick. How many? How many do you have, and how did this hobby come about? Oh, I've probably got about like ten, but uh, like I think COVID, like in um, kind of inspired this hobby like i was in quarantine and i was just playing pokemon on my game boy and yeah i was like i wonder if there's a bit of game where like can i get other ones and different games and yeah that's kind of where it's inspired inspired from and yeah i think i think i've got about 10 now and yeah yeah wow do you do it do you use them all or is it kind of a case of like oh no i can't touch like the the clear game boy pocket you know that's my special one i'll never play that one uh, like I don't have that kind of rule that I won't play certain ones, but obviously you can't play them all at the same time. So I'll just uh, pick one and play the game on it. Like obviously depending on which game you have, you're going to use the, the attached Game Boy to it. So yeah, like I don't have any rules about protecting this one or kind of that thing, but yeah, yeah, I just love playing them. And yeah, like I said, like quarantine brought about that, uh, that I guess boredom to start playing them again. <laughs> 
Nice. I've got to ask you, but you mentioned Pokemon. It's the first time I think I've ever been able to ask this question to one of our guests on the show. But do you have a preference? Like, are you, you old school? Are we going blue, red, yellow, gold, silver? Or are we kind of going more into the, the newer versions of it or a bit of a mix of all of them? Uh, I think definitely the older ones. Like, uh, yeah, red, blue, green, yellow, and then probably crystal and ruby, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, they, like, obviously, they, these were from back in the day when I was a, as a kid. So, yeah, yeah, they definitely have a soft spot within me. Um, I haven't played too much of the newer ones, obviously, just because of life. But, uh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I do enjoy the older ones. I, I think the first one I ever had was yellow. And I... I think me too, actually. Yeah, and I'm sure you're the same when you get it. You just completely addicted uh and just you just never want to get off the damn thing but and then i remember when gold and silver comes about you're like how am i going to learn a hundred new pokemon like i just i've memorized all 150 and now there's like about three thousand or something like that isn't it? i don't even know how many there are now i've lost track <laughs> yeah i don't know either but yeah yeah like yeah, it was definitely like that like but i think it's exciting like when you were that young and new ones were coming out you're like yes like i've got another game I've got all these things to catch. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think back then it was great. And yeah, like you said, yeah, I didn't get off it either. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's what you do. Uh, and the other one here I like, if you're stuck on a desert island and can only have three things, you've got a coffee machine, a fishing rod, and a baby Yoda figurine. Now, uh, not, uh, is that for luck? Is that just because you love baby Yoda? I mean, what, what, what purpose does that serve you on the, the desert island there, Nick? I actually, so my, I forgot I wrote that and my cousin in Japan actually sent me that and yeah, I was laughing. But I think at the time I was just like, if, if I was stuck on a desert island by myself, like I need a couple of things, but then just something to keep me company and like everyone loves Baby Yoda. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I put. That's a good one. I like that. That works very, very well. Now, another thing too I like, obviously, and I'm, I'm sure people will learn a lot of this throughout the coverage of that, you're obviously, you're a twin, uh, of course. Now, do, does does Dean do skeleton as well? Is he sort of out there with it or is he kind of uh, too, you know, he doesn't want to go out there and is he a bit of a wimp or something like that? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, he's done skeleton since I started as well. So he's been on the 10-year the journey I have as well. And I'm, like, unfortunately, we... Again, couldn't qualify the two sleds this time. So, yeah, only one of us gets to go. But, uh, yeah, he, he came um, with me at the start of the season. We did some races together. And, yeah, unfortunately, obviously, we couldn't qualify too. So, yeah, he's going home back to Perth now. Right. And not meaning to call him a wimp, of course. Not a wimp, obviously, uh, out there doing <laughs> that. So, he, he can't, obviously, with is it down to, like, restrictions and things like that? He, unfortunately, can't travel with you to Beijing to cheer you on? Yeah, so we only have a certain amount of allocated like um, star spots and that kind of thing. Like they're being very strict with it. So yeah, that's the reason why yeah we can't have um, yeah the people we want there really. Does it though then allow him to create like a big watch party back in Perth? Like is uh, sort of already talking about because obviously with the time difference, it's not going to be too bad. So I can imagine that it's going to be at a good time that maybe you can get the family and the friends over to, to the house or a pub or something like that to kind of cheer you on when you're competing. Yeah, so I think there is one already organised at the Western Australian Institute of Sport. Um, so I think, yeah, that's going to happen and that's been organised. So, yeah, hopefully they get a lot of people there. Fantastic. Great. Well, there you go. Everybody uh, listening in that part of the world, uh, keep an eye out and maybe you can go along and uh, cheer, cheer Nick along the way. Now, Nick, we like to close out with a set of get-to-know-you-style questions. Now, these are based off a Team Canada questionnaire that they gave their athletes 
ahead of both Pyeongchang and Rio. And we're really hoping they are bringing it back for Beijing because they didn't unfortunately have it for Tokyo. And as always, we like to use the questionnaire that they give to an athlete from the same sport. And luckily for us, there is a Canadian skeleton racer here by the name of Jane Chanel. And we're going to base these off this question. Now, there's a drawing element, Nick, which, again, as we always say, you don't have to. If you feel the need to do some extra homework, you're most welcome to do some drawings. But, uh, you know, you don't. How, how are your drawing skills? Are you an avid drawer or don't really oh, give a shit? Oh. Uh, I'd say they're average to mediocre. Okay. All right, then. Well, again, I'll leave that up to you. You might have some things that you kind of got arranged in the... <laughs> coming days ahead of the Olympics. But we'll start off. Your favourite all-time Olympic moment is? I'd say it has to be Stephen Bradbury winning the gold in uh, 2002. As an Australian, like, it has to be that one. Absolutely. I always appreciate that answer. And 20th anniversary of it, can you believe, in the in the coming weeks. We're going to be celebrating uh, 20 years of that. So amazing. I do love here that... Uh, Jane, of course, has mentioned uh, John, Mon- John Montgomery's win back in Vancouver. We had John on the show uh, last year. And, uh, I mean, like that that, that really, I think, boosted the sport, watching him skull beers and just, you know, go off and that sort of stuff. Have you ever had a chance to bump into to John at all or, or meet John Montgomery in the past? Yeah, when I was a, a young slide, I think as I was starting, he was kind of wrapping up his career. So I definitely did see him around. He did some commentary as well for some of the World Cups like early on. Um, yeah, so he has been around. I've seen him around. Nice. And, of course, host of Amazing Race Canada. So just saying when you do retire, uh, the, the guy who's hosting the Amazing Race in Australia right now is no Grant Bowler. So, I mean, if you're looking for a secondary career, you can host Amazing Race Australia. It seems to be the path of a lot of skeleton athletes. So it's in your cards maybe. I think I'd rather be on the Amazing Race Australia rather than host it. There you go. All right. You 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 and Dean, that's perfect pairing, you know, skeleton races touring yeah. the world. That would work. There you go. Yeah, Listen, there we go. If if the, the producers are listening, hopefully they'll they'll get you on board there. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, I think it has to be to be able to fly. Yep. Which you, you're kind of halfway there in a weird way, aren't you? Because I think I read in an interview you did that it kind of it almost feels like flying sometimes. So just kind of that adrenaline, everything along those lines, it just you want to add to it a little bit more? Yeah, well, like feeling like flying and actually flying is completely different. And on that, like just I've been in so many airplanes and I'm getting so sick of them with all the bag <laughs> fees as well. So if I can just fly to these places myself, that'd be perfect. <laughs> that's the best way of looking at it saving on those damn bag fees so yeah no i like that one your favorite sports movie is uh, i reckon 42 yes that's a great movie doesn't get answered a lot uh but uh yeah fantastic that was um how many years was that before Chad that's a good movie yeah it was a while before black panther as well wasn't it so um yeah 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 oh no, maybe a couple of years yeah yeah, and and I always forget Harrison Ford's in that movie. Just randomly, like, oh, there's Harrison Ford just popping up in it. Yeah, great yeah movie. it's a great Good answer. Movie. Love it. Your funniest childhood memory is? I'd say, so obviously having a twin brother, we were a handful for our parents. Um, <laughs> I reckon we had these laundry baskets. There was two of them, and we used to, put them on our heads and just like run at each other. And so our mum used to like come outside and just see us like running into each other with these laundry baskets on our head. And I remember us just like toppling over and like just cracking up laughing. I think that's probably, yeah, funniest childhood memory. 
Wow, I like it. Laundry baskets were never safe in the household, it sounds like, you know, just uh, <laughs> constantly being used. Uh, great. Your favourite pump-up song is? Oh, hmm. I don't know if I have a particular one, but I definitely like house music to get me going. Um, mm-hmm. Just the high tempo of it uh, really gets me going. I'd say something from uh, Swedish House Mafia probably up there. Ooh. Nice. You like their, their new ones that they've got? It sounds a little bit different to some of their stuff, but it's not too bad. Yeah, I do like it, actually. Yeah, I've been listening to it. Yeah, it's definitely different, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm glad they're back together. Is it a case of pre-run, like you sort of, you, you, you're about to go down the track? Do you, do you have the AirPods in? Do you have yourself kind of in the zone listening to it? Or, you know, is that kind of something that's done a little bit more sort of uh, earlier in the day, potentially to pump you up? Oh, I'd say definitely when i'm at the track but maybe like 15 to 20 minutes before the run i'll I'll take them out and start like focusing and yeah just like you obviously have to watch out for the the start list so you don't miss your run um so you'll you'll take note of that uh yeah so i'd say about 15 to 20 minutes before my run i take them out but yeah before that like while i'm warming up and that i'll have them in perfect what is the most recent tv show that you binge watched uh so i'm watching ozark at the moment the new season Okay, and what do you what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and while I was in Whistler this season, I, because I knew the new season was coming out, I watched all three seasons in one week. So, nice. So it definitely, always like is convenient. It's the one I've been to watched. Go through it. I love it. Good work. Growing up, what? Who was your favorite sports team? So I was always a soccer player. So I did like soccer teams, but my dad was actually born in Melbourne and he is a big AFL fan. So we grew up barracking for the Saints. So I'd say ah. even though I liked soccer and played soccer more, I'd say we probably barracked for the Saints like the most, yeah. Wow, I was going to actually ask you if there was AFL in the blood if you're an Eagles or a Dockers fan, but bugger both of them. You go for the Saints, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does that mean then you, with the soccer side of things, though, that you're a big glory fan kind of on, on that page? Uh, like, yeah, we do enjoy going to watch uh, glory games, but I think I'm more interested in, like, the Premier League. Yeah, right. Who, okay, the... who's your team? Who's your team then, Nick, in the Premier League? So I've supported Liverpool ever since Harry Kuehl moved there. So yep. Ever since then, it's been, yeah, Liverpool. Oh, you've had a good couple of years. You'd be pretty happy then. So, you know, you're doing all right. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like saying it now because people are like, oh, you're just supporting them because they're good. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, as I, I'm, I'm a Manchester United guy. So, as a kid, I was allowed to gladly say that and jumped on the bandwagon. But now, I mean, you know, at least I still say I'm still stuck by them, even though we haven't done well in a while. So, you know, swings around about Yeah, that's right? true. <laughs> you you got to go through the hard. I mean, as a St Kilda supporter, I mean, I, I don't need to say that about, you know, you got to stick with them for a while. So, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I'm a Carlton supporter, so I'm just like, I'm hopeful that you don't win a premiership soon because if you if St Kilda win a premiership, Carlton officially had the longest drought in the AFL for premiership. So that's not a good thing as a Carlton supporter. Oh, okay, supporter. there you go. So just uh, if, if, you, if, if St Kilda supporters out there hate Carlton, then even more incentive to win the premiership sometime soon. So, yeah, uh, all these droughts have Carlton, been broken. Hates Collingwood, don't they? <laughs> Well, true. Yeah, you know, bugger, bugger Collingwood. So there you go. Uh, your least favourite foods are? Um, I'm very 
I'm like not fussy with food at all, but my least favorite, I'd say yogurt actually. Like I do oh. eat it for the benefits, but yeah, I don't enjoy eating yogurt. Interesting. Is that, is that like a texture thing or just uh, not a fan of it in general? Because I know it's kind of one of those things where the, the texture can put people off. Yeah, I think texture and maybe smell sometimes and taste, yeah, just all combined, yeah. Like I, I do eat yogurt because for the benefits, but, yeah, I definitely say I don't enjoy eating yogurt. There you go. Okay. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Oh, what an athlete, what would I be? I'd say I'd be working in some business firm somewhere. Yeah, like I do. Like I think I have more of a maths brain, so I think, yeah, something to do with numbers or something like that maybe. Okay, I like that. I love Jane's answer here. She says a dinosaur expert, something we all should strive to be. So there you go. I should have said astronaut then. Hey, well, look, you, you could be an astronaut, dinosaur expert, accountant all-in-one who wins <laughs> Olympic golds and goes on the amazing race. So ticking off all the all the boxes. What is your favourite or where is your favourite vacation spot? Uh, I'd say it'd have to be Japan. Nice. Yep. Nice. Which, obviously, given the current restrictions, it's not like you can kind of sneak over there after the Olympics, sadly. So, uh, you know, have you? how many times yeah, have you been to? Have you been there multiple times or just, just the once or...? Yeah, so since I was about 15, we have gone to Japan every single year before COVID hit, so quite a few wow. times. Nice. And is there, obviously, there, I don't know if the, the track in Nagano or um, Sapporo still exists, but do they have any tracks on the, on the World Cup stage at all that you can compete on? So, yeah, like you said, the Nagano tracks, I think they stopped doing races on that track in probably about 2008 maybe. Um, but it was open just for general sliding for the Japanese up until I think it was about three years ago. So we were actually fortunate enough to be able to slide on that track. But, yeah, I've never actually done a, a proper race on that. Does that make – is Beijing the closest track then to Australia now? Or, I mean, in terms of distance? Or is Pyeongchang closer? Like, or is there another one that I'm not thinking of that's closest to Australia? Yeah, it'd have to be Beijing or Pyeongchang. I, I don't actually know which one would technically be closer. I think maybe Beijing. So Beijing might be the actual closest track to Australia now. Yeah, there you go. Home track, Nick. Just, just extra pressure for you. It's, it's the home track for for you and Jackie because it's the closest to Australia. <laughs> just got to get through all the PCR tests and get in the country. Exactly. There you go. Simple. Uh, what is something that people usually describe you as? Uh, I'd say definitely laid back. Laid back. Okay. That's a good one. I like it. If you could be an Olympian in any other sport other than your own, what would it be? Uh, with the additions in Tokyo, I reckon now definitely skateboarding. Ah, yes. Nice. That would work. I could I could see that. I'm actually intrigued. I believe in Milan we've got our ski mountaineering making its debut. So uh, I, I think this is something we I heard, to... I heard some of the skiing events are coming back, yeah. Yeah, which uh, looks pretty amazing. So, uh, you know, we've obviously got breakdancing coming into Paris. So there's these kind of new, unique sports that a lot of people don't really think of. So, um, yeah, skateboarding was, was pretty popular. So just, yeah, I like it, kind of keeping those options open. What is 
your guilty pleasure. Now, this isn't a guilty... Usually, it's guilty pleasure food. It's just guilty pleasure in general. Do you, do you have one at all? Oh, guilty. I'd say mine would be food. Yeah, I love food. Yeah. Um, I'd say pizza. It's got to be pizza. Ooh. Yeah, now, two-part two question. First of all, pineapple, yes or no on pizza? Like I said before, I'm not fussy with food at all, so I'll eat pineapple. I eat like, like put anything on the pizza. I'll eat anything it. on it. Anything. On it. And well, my next part was like, do you have a favorite pizza, or is it just a case of just I don't give a shit, just give me all the pizza? Before I left Perth for the season, I was actually going around to like the different restaurants and and like trying their margaritas to see which one was the best. Nice. Um, so I did eat a lot of margaritas before I left, but I, I'm definitely a toppings guy, so I do I do enjoy toppings. Have you like have salami, you- mushroom, yeah. Go for um, those kind of things. Have you been to many of those ones where it's kind of like I like to call them the subway of pizza, where you basically just get the blank canvas and you can make whatever the hell you want. Those are my favorite places. I mean, do you do you enjoy those ones where you can be a bit of experimental and kind of just have whatever you want on it with those toppings? So we actually don't have too many of them back in Perth, but there is one of them in the in Park City, which is one of our stops and which is one of the stops I visited this year. So yeah, I was making my own pizzas. And yeah, I do enjoy that as well. They're fun. They're really good. I, w- I feel I need to take off in, in more places. So uh, there you go. The last bit on here, which yeah, again, yeah, it's, the, it's the drawing bit, Nick, if you want to. If you're an animal, you can draw draw one here. I mean, Jane's drawn a sloth because she's written, they're my favorite. Um, and it's, it's an okay drawing of a sloth. So if you were to draw an animal, what would you draw? What would you think yourself as? Uh, probably penguin, actually. I'd ah. say penguin. Nice. Okay. Any particular reason? Just a just a fan of the penguins or relate to a penguin? Well, they're kind of chilled out. They like just stand around all day, like very chilled, and obviously they slide on their bellies. So yeah, hey, pretty appropriate, I reckon. That's that's perfect. See, you, I mean, look, sled Ben the penguin. That's the sled. That's right there. You can put penguin <laughs> stickers on it next to the Australian sort of insignia. There, you know, you can decorate it, put it on the helmet, all that kind of stuff. You can be the penguin skeleton <laughs> racer. I can see this really yeah. taken off. Put it out there. Fantastic. Nick, before we let you go, for people who want to follow you during the Olympics, the journey, anything along those lines, social media, websites, anything like that, where can people sort of stay up to date with uh, what you're up to? Yeah, I usually use Instagram the most. So it's uh, n.timmings um, on Instagram. Yeah, and I think I'm active there at the most. Um, yeah, and I'll try to be as active as I can during the Olympics. Yeah, perfect. We'll be keeping an eye on that. Of course, we're going to be really excited to, to cheer you on, watch the Olympics, everything along those lines to see you out there. Uh, 10th of February is uh, when you're, you're going out there on runs one and two and then the 11th of February. So uh, into uh, basically the uh, the second week. So uh, we'll be we'll be counting down. Then here and off the podium, we'll be we'll talking you up. We'll be making sure we're following it every, uh, every step of the way and uh, really cheering you on, Nick. But uh, best of luck. We're, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you go out there. 17th or better. We, we know it's possible and uh, keep on pushing through there. And, uh, yeah, best of luck. And we really appreciate your time here off the podium today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I uh, hope everyone can, uh, yeah, watch all the Australians during the Winter Olympics and, uh, yeah, get behind us all. So, yeah, thank you.
And a massive, massive thanks there to Nick for his time. And as always, if you want to see the video version of this chat, hit us up on our YouTube channel. You can watch the video version there. And a lot of great things. Learning there. Penguins, definitely something there. Potentially a sled. Ben the Penguin, I'll take that on board there. Love of Game Boys. And everything else in between there. Fun chat, really, from Nick. And we are really looking forward to seeing him hit that track and aim for that 17th or better. It can happen. It's going to be... I don't say a drought broken, but more of a an excitement there that Nick can achieve something. And obviously, we've got Jacqueline going very well. As I said, World Cup winner recently. So uh, high chances for our skeleton team in Beijing for a, uh, a, a career-best finish in the history of the sport. Emma Lincoln-Smith, 10th in Vancouver, the best ever finished by a skeleton athlete for Australia. So we'll see how that comes along there. But Nick, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure to chat. We have so many more happening for you in the lead up. As I said, days away right now. Stay tuned to our social media. Stay tuned to everything else and episodes dropping left, right and center. Our big Beijing preview, of course, coming your way very, very shortly. Our special athletes to watch episode where we'll feature clips from every athlete that has been on this show in the lead up to Beijing you can hear some little uh, memories of them as well and also a big interview our last interview that we will be airing ahead and this is the time I'm going to announce this because this will be dropping tomorrow uh, the one the only Apollo Ono the greatest ever US Winter Olympian in terms of medals won, one of the greatest short track speed skaters of all time. Many people, of course, if you remember Stephen Bradbury winning gold, will remember that Apollo Ono was the guy who finished second, was meant to win that win that race. The guy favoured to win eight Olympic medals in total, just an all-time great of the sport of short track speed skating. But a great chat we have got for you with the legend that is Apollo Ono is our last interview that we will air ahead of the Olympics as we get very busy. We've been very busy daily episodes, multiple episodes in a day, and continuing that all the way through. So uh, stay tuned. And of course, if you like what we're putting out there, we know you do, you're listening. Remember to vote for us. You hear it at the beginning of the episode. You hear it at the end, sportspodcastawards.com. Sign up, click on the best Olympics and Paralympics podcast section. Vote for us. We're up for the award. We're very honored and we'd appreciate a vote. Help us out there. And we very much would appreciate that along the way. So uh, subtle little plug, of course, goes there. Other little plugs, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to us on all good podcast platforms, YouTube as well, as I said. You'll never miss a beat here on the podium. It's, it's, it's such an exciting time to be an Olympic fan. Days, days, people. The Olympics are here. The Olympics are here. Get excited. We are very excited, and you are very excited as well. Big thanks to Nick again for joining us. As always, a shout-out goes towards Jason Momoa. And until we next week again, my name is Ben. This is off the podium, and as always, go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, Off the Podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. 
Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.